Yeah. So what's crazy, Paris, is that organic still makes up like the vast majority of our revenue in terms of like the total you know, user base and in terms of net new revenue every single month. Um, organic for us is growing every single month. Organic also grows as a function of paid. Uh, so as you're spending more on performance, your organic lift will also increase. But we do have a very, very strong um, community, um, content marketing, and like SEO foundation that are really helping fuel that uh, and have continued to as, as we've grown. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Today, my guest is Aaron Court, who is the VP of Operations at ClickUp. And if you haven't heard of ClickUp, uh, probably you've been living under a rock for the last couple of years. It's one of the hottest names in SaaS. Um, Aaron is just a few months into this role. Uh, Most of his tenure at ClickUp has been as the director of marketing. And we're going to talk a lot about marketing here today. And uh, Aaron was also one of the first 25 employees. Today, he's more or less running all the operations at ClickUp, which I imagine um, is, a, is a pretty daunting set of responsibilities. So anyway, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paris. And yeah, daunting would be, I would, I would use a different word. I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to help there, but it is um, a lot of stuff as we're growing as fast as we are. So very, very exciting time for us. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for the intro and very excited to talk to you. Sure. Yeah. So can you, you've been in the role, in the VP of Ops role just now for maybe six months or so. Is that right? Yep, that is correct. And then for, for a couple of years prior to that, you were the director of marketing. Can you just discuss a little bit about that transition and what are the major differences between those, those roles and how it's going? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, when I started, like you mentioned, I was one of the first 25 folks on the team here. Um, first set of marketing, so I helped build everything out there from an infrastructure standpoint. Um, marketing for us early on, I mean, we, we grew 100% organically to our first couple million people using the product. So that was obviously something fun and exciting from a marketing perspective, because by the time I joined, I mean, we really had already found product market fit. Um, and then from there, you know, we'd done zero paid marketing to date. So a lot of like in getting started for me and outside of team building was you know, setting up our foundations for attribution and analytics and um, starting to basically scale up paid marketing as we raised our Series A. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really the foundation of it. But a lot, a lot went into that um, in terms of shifts of focus. I mean, when you join that early, you, you get involved in a lot of areas of the business. And when you are, you know, a digital business, if not like, you know, in SaaS, um, marketing really surrounds everything in the business. So I, I was very fortunate to get involved um, in a lot of areas of the company very early on um, and have a lot of context and understanding that has allowed me to, yeah, step into this role for the past six months or so and, you know, be very blessed to do so. So that's, that's an awesome thing. And yet we've grown 
incredibly. We're, we're now over 800 employees, which is pretty wild. Um, and yeah, only a couple of years later. So, and um, yeah, yeah we, we've grown tremendously. So that's where the overlap has been though. And it's, it's been a very, very exciting ride every, every step of the way. Mm -hmm. How many users do you have now? We have over 4 million on the product, which is pretty wild. Wow. Okay. 4 million users, 800 employees. How, how many of those 400, uh, sorry, 4 million are paid users versus uh, free premium? Yeah. On the team side, we have over 300,000 teams on the product. Mm -hmm. And with that, so when we're defining teams, teams are mostly associated with, with logos. Um, but on the customer side, you know, I can't really disclose that on the call today. Um, mm -hmm. But our teams, logos, those are very often correlated with, with customer relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the best way I could explain it for where we are today. Yeah. So out of that's still less than 10%. So really this product-led growth is a major driver because 90, I don't know, 91, 92% or so of that user base are on the freemium product. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? How do you how do you manage those freemium users and what signals alert you all to to try to upsell them into paid plans? Yeah, absolutely. So having a free forever product that allows for unlimited tasks, unlimited users, and pretty much being able to use the product for a very long time in very functional ways and having a ton of value without having to pay for it. Um, creates a really organic flow where people eventually just want to start using more parts of the product. Um, and that does lead to a very natural inclination of, of a customer journey for us. There are naturally other indicators as well for certain types of product usage or certain persona-based team types that lead to buying behavior, be that through self-serve or, or sales-assisted means. Um, but you know, on a very high level, the, the product really does that itself through how it's structured. And from even when we're thinking of sales, um, direct relationships outside of the bottoms up um, self-serve side of things, um, it is also based on the same motion, um, surprisingly. But it's, it's really all based on, on usage, trying the product um, and having a workspace as, as the primary foundation for every behavior. And then naturally getting people to use the product um, varies in a number of ways and happy to happy to talk through those if, if interested. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that and especially how that connects back to your acquisition marketing. Yeah. Um, and the next question would be then those signals that are the best predictors of people who would graduate from, from free forever to paid plans, mm -hmm. are those signals sent as offline conversions back to the ad platform so that they can bid they can bid to value rather than just bid to a blanket target CPA or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. When we're, when we're bidding on ad platforms, we're bidding for a number of conversion objectives. Um, the workspace acquisition is the primary piece, but we, we do optimize for you know the best quality of users within the workspace acquisition piece that allow for the highest predictability um, to lead to paid customers, ideally, which is basically just serving better ads to the right people at the right time. Um, that, that info is being in, is being fed back to ad platforms um, to learn. And basically, as you spend more on ad platforms, though, in general, your quality of conversion will increase over time. Um, but nothing atypical there, mostly just invested very early on, like we said, in the attribution analytics. And most of our data is, is coming from our internal data for how we're making those decisions. The ad platform data, more or less, we look at 
as a barometer, um, but not as our source of truth. So a lot of what we're using as a source of truth is in our internal BI and in our attribution platform. Um, and then whatever is living in the ad platforms and what we're you know, providing to the ad platforms is actually relatively limited um, mm -hmm. in comparison to what we're mostly using on our end, which is again, a, a third-party attribution platform and then internal BI um, that basically plugs into that. Mm -hmm. Would you mind describing a little bit that tech stack, particularly the, the BI tool and the attribution tool? Yeah. Yeah, attribution uh, is literally done through a platform called Attribution App um, that we use. And then internal BI is mostly just have that having an open API, that going into Snowflake. Um, and then from there, we're taking that data in Snowflake and visualizing it in, in Tableau and QuickSight, um, which are just two different sources. Um, it's nothing too crazy to be candid with you, but it's mostly just having that data that's being essentially collected through like it's almost like a net and then that's then going to snowflake and then we're visualizing that data um, where it is most relevant and applicable to the business because there's no boxed solution um, especially in SaaS, really for for your business over time you'll you'll have there are boxed solutions out there um, that will work to give you a foundation just as attribution was for us for about you know, almost, shoot, when I started and then, yeah, almost a year um, mm -hmm. to where we then started to shift toward internal BI just because it wasn't giving us every insight that we needed to make efficient decisions in terms mm -hmm. of where we're allocating budget, if that makes sense. It does. So you you were maybe using some one of the off-the-shelf models before, like position-based, and then you went to data-driven attribution using well, your own data? Yeah, it's a great question and a great piece. So we actually... In attribution, there was five different attribution models that we could rely on, but we actually relied mostly on first touch. And the reason we relied mostly on first touch rather than last touch or position-based or linear attribution, for example, is just because the first touch is most often correlated with a workspace signup event for us. So we determined that was the most important business metric that we wanted to optimize for from the get-go. And then that went into from attributions platform into our own internal BI, which we decided to optimize around the same attribution model. But data driven is naturally the the way you need to go long term. And that's what we are building toward internally um, as we're speaking right now. But it's a more custom data driven model that's based on to your first question, user behavior and those instances that we know. Um, that are, are more likely to lead to customer conversions, but a better quality product experience for people, which eventually leads to that over time. So that's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really interesting. I, I assume you all are working on or have already developed a predictive, predictive LTV machine learning model. Are you all, do you all have something like that? Great question. LTV for us is, is ever-changing, um, but what we do have today is predictive free-to-paid conversion rates and predictive dollar amounts for um, ARPU um, that are indicators for sales and for, for self-serve behavior on the revenue side. Uh, we just came out internally with our own internal churn prediction model as well, which is helpful, but predictive LTV is tricky. Um, it's, it's the one that we want to work toward. I mean, the reason you would want to go to predicted LTV is to get to ideally what's your LTV to CAC um, over time. 
Uh, mm -hmm. We rely mostly on payback, CAC payback as our primary means, which we would also like to get to predictively. Um, but as it is today, mostly focused on those three areas that I call that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, even if you've got if you've got a relative dollar amount to the free to free to pay conversion rate, that unlocks uh, value based bidding, which means then you can actually bid on a target return on ad spend. Absolutely. And while that doesn't quite get you all the way to LTV to CAC, it gets you I don't know more than half of the way at least. Yeah. Which, uh, which is still a huge, a huge win and a huge competitive advantage, I would say. For sure. And one thing to touch on LTV, I mean, we use another platform called ProfitWell um, for basically yeah. measuring like MRR and growth rate and our, our primary unit economics outside of internal BI. But the reason I mention it is because they have an LTV prediction model in ProfitWell. But the challenge is our LTV is increasing every single month. And that's because we're closing, you know, larger and larger customer deals as a result of expansion. Um, and that's in, that's causing our LTV to increase. So like, even if we wanted to predict it today, we're still like just growing so quickly and expanding so much that it does lead to what would be a more complicated way of looking at that long term, if that makes sure. sense. Absolutely. And I imagine also, given that you're a relative newcomer in the space, even your oldest cohorts are probably still haven't reached, you know, full maturity or what you would determine would define as lifetime. I mean, what is lifetime here? The product is so sticky. And the fact that, I mean, we'll, we'll transition into the stickiness of the product in a minute. But I think that given the, given the fact that you are really rebundling so many apps into one, the stickiness factor is huge. And that means that probably it's harder to switch out and to something else. And a lifetime is going to be probably longer than the average lifetime in your category compared to Trello or, or one of the others. Um, so yeah, LTV is a moving target, but the good news is it, it keeps going up, which means that your, your CAC can keep going up as long as, as long as the, the CFO and the investors are happy with the three to one or, or they're happy with a 12 month payback on CAC or, or 13, you reported 13 in LinkedIn, 13 month payback to, on CAC. Uh, which which sounds from from the different conversations I've had, it sounds to be right there at the at, at about the threshold of of investor tolerance. I think. Yeah, um, and part of that is you want to decide. So, like that thirteen month payback is based on our financial model, and it's based on what we're predicting twenty four months out um, from a cohorted perspective from the data that we have today, right? And we we have seen that. But yeah, to your point, I mean, eighteen months is like typically the max range of health. If you're scaling super aggressively, 24 months could be tolerable. Wow. Um, okay. But that's, it totally varies based on the situation. 12 months, though, or less is, is healthy. And that's, that's mm -hmm. where you, you want to be. It just, though, depends how aggressively you're scaling. Um, you know, we, we've scaled extremely quickly on the performance marketing side um, and fortunately made a lot of um, foundational investments in, in data and analytics to support that. Um, mm -hmm. So that we have that level of insight, but those are just some considerations to think about when you are talking payback period and you know how to think of it. Every company is different, but that's just a few things that we've had conversations about, you know, among the company and with investors and other stakeholders in the process. Mm -hmm. Another nice thing about well, uh, keeping that LTV to ratio in check. I'm sorry, LTV to CAC ratio in check is that by improving your organic conversions, you can bring down the blended CAC, you can bring down the average overall CAC, 
which again then allows you to spend more on the paid side. Have you all experienced that through successful organic campaigns in SEO and content marketing? And if so, how did that happen? Yeah. So what's crazy, Paris, is that organic still makes up like the vast majority of our revenue in terms of like the total you know user base and in terms of net new revenue every single month. Um, organic for us is growing every single month. Organic also grows as a function of paid. Uh, so as you're spending more on performance, your organic lift will also increase. But we do have a very, very strong um, community, um, content marketing, and like SEO foundation that are really helping fuel that uh, and have continued to as, as we've grown. So the paid yeah. marketing and performance like layers on top of that. Um, the, the PLG Organic Growth Foundation would not, is the only thing that allows us to do what we're doing from a paid standpoint and have it be sustainable. Um, without that, you know, the business would not be, you know, near as healthy, nor would we have grown as quickly as we have if that wasn't established from the get-go alongside mm-hmm. product market fit. Right, right. And was that was that an intentional decision that you all made? Because earlier you mentioned that the first the first big growth period you get to, I think to get to that first uh, million or I forgot exactly the, the threshold, but you said you got there with organic. It was all organic at the beginning. Yeah. Did you all, was that an intentional decision knowing that later that was going to give you an advantage to outspend your competitors on paid? Yeah, it was a strategy from the get-go with the company. So when, when Zeb started working on this product and basically we saw what we did, um, his commitment was building, frankly, like the best product and and doing it extremely quickly and efficiently. Um, and having an organic foundation is simply from a business fundamental standpoint, what goes into having product market fit and finding that early on. And that was always, always a strategy from the get go. Now, was that done under the assumption that we could outspend competitors and and what we're doing from a performance side long term? Sure, I'm, I, that was a consideration. Uh, I, I guarantee that went through Zeb's head from the get go, which you know we, we may or may not have talked about. But that's that's something that just having a healthy business and a healthy product starts with that, regardless of what your end outcome is, regardless of how competitive your space is. We just so happen to be in a very competitive space. And that was the route we chose. But from the get-go, it, it always has been about building the best product, a better product. And, you know, the thing for the product for us is, is one place for all your work. And that still is and continues to be the vision as we're growing. Mm-hmm. Let's transition to the product here and product market fit. Because on the face of it, it's it seemed like almost an impossible task to enter into a space where you're maybe 10 years behind Asana and maybe 15 years behind Trello, 20 years behind Smartsheet. I don't know if these are the real numbers, but you're, you were late to the game in that category and you disrupted the hell out of it. Um, What was it that those guys were missing? Because I I can tell you quickly our experience and I'll tell you what, what the Trojan horse was for us, but I'd love to hear it from you. Uh, We were on Asana for years and uh, one of the biggest pain points is we always had to bolt on a time tracking app. Uh, never were happy with, well, there, there just wasn't a native time tracking app, which to me would have been so easy. They, ne- they never did it. We saw click up and boom, and, and the price was half of Asana too at that time. And then the last thing that tipped it was we were an agency and there was a really great webinar from one of your partners called Zen Pilot. 
And they, they did a demo about how to create these amazing dashboards uh, for uh, account dashboards for agencies inside of ClickUp. And, um, and then we engaged them to actually roll out everything. And ClickUp is now really, it's, we've, we've gotten rid of at least five or six standalone apps because of ClickUp. It started with time tracking, but then it went to the applicant tracking system. And then it went to OKRs, which we're still waiting for, for those nested folders, by the way. Uh, but we still do OKRs with what we, what we have there in goals. And, and maybe someday in the next year, maybe our CRM actually also gets eaten, eaten by ClickUp. And I know that's a vision for you all. But what is it about the, what was missing from this landscape that allowed you all to just disrupt so fast this project management space? Um, yeah. And was there, yeah. was there a Trojan horses? Great, great points. And firstly, super exciting to hear that story. Um, and what you're describing is what a lot of people have and are going through when it comes to project management tools and, and work management as a whole. And what really was missing when, when ClickUp really got started and you know gained adoption and found product market fit was, was the pace of innovation, right? Like Asana hadn't changed for a really long time. And now companies and products are being forced to change. You probably see Asana putting out more features recently than they had in 10 years prior, right? But that's because the competitive landscape's picking up. That's because they have to. They didn't have to before, though. Companies didn't really have to. But then, you know, ClickUp, as a company comes around, and, like, the big vision from the get-go was, like, you know, there's these project management and productivity tools that don't make you as productive because everyone's using a different one and you have to use all these nuanced areas to manage it. Now with ClickUp, I mean, fortunately they, they built a lot within the product natively, but also from an integration standpoint um, have and continue to enable like using other products too, if you want. Right. Um, the main thing is like companies weren't thinking of that. They weren't, they weren't as centered on the user experience. And I, I think candidly, and we, we've talked about this as a company and I think publicly as well, they were comfortable, very comfortable as a product and as a company. And, you know, in, in our space, given how competitive it is, like, I, I think we may or may not be, you know, one of the last movers in the space to really kind of like pick things up a little bit, but you see a lot changing now as a result, right? Um, so I really think the pace of innovation and like truly centering in on like what more can this be for people um, is what was missing for a very little, for a very long time. But I see I do see that starting to change now a bit more in the competitive landscape. But I think it's because they've been forced to. I think it's because you have companies like us that are coming in and disrupting things um, in, a, in a shorter time frame because we centered in on and creating an excellent product and having a huge vision uh, for the company and the product. Yeah, I also. I have something else to, another theory that I'll float, which is I think that the timing was perfect. Um, so absolutely building building a better product. But you all came around at a time when I think that SaaS stacks were getting, hmm. were just getting crazy, uh, complicated. People just had way too many tools and, and the tools did integrate for the most part. And, and if, if not, you have Zapier or others to do that. But at some point, if you're asking your team to log into five, six, eight, ten different apps or different tools, all of them cloud-based, in one day, and 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 then try to use them, it it just uh, it just crushes. It also crushes productivity. And I think that that timing, and the the realization that okay, everything has gone cloud for sure. Everything's up in the cloud. But now that these these SaaS stacks are just too complicated, and and there needs to be simplification. And I think that was also, uh, I mean, I've heard Zeb talk about that. 
And I think that that really resonates too, because for us, one of the biggest value, value that, that I feel we've gotten out of ClickUp is the ability to get rid of so many other apps. Mm. And now we, we even have an expression here that if it's not in ClickUp, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it really, if um, a lot, I don't know, I probably say this or something similar to that almost every day, which is, is it in ClickUp? I mean, if somebody says, oh, this thing, that thing, is it in ClickUp? It's usually one of my first questions. Um, and, and, and it's become, it's become a no code ERP for us in the cloud. And, um, so are there particular, we're, we're an agency and I think about use cases and almost anyone from a tiny team, from a single freelancer all the way to massive enterprise and everything in between, but is there a sweet spot for, for, for users or use cases or how do you think about, how do you segment your, your users? It's a great question. And, and right now, one of our biggest focuses, I mean, we just had um, a few incredible folks start on the team. Mike Berger, who's our, our VP of product marketing, Andrew Jones, our head of content marketing. Um, right now, like we, we have so many sweet spots is the answer. And right now, it's also about how are we tapping into that and personalizing experiences to, to better enable those further and further. So from a positioning standpoint, a messaging standpoint, those are huge focuses for them um, and for the company as, as we're growing right now. Um, but it truly is, it is so widespread, Paris. We have all different types of companies and teams of all different sizes that have incredible experiences using the product. Um, so, so naturally, our big thing is right now, how can we better personalize the entire experience to allow for those folks, um, new and existing, to, to continue to have that? but have it be extremely tailored to them. We have a very robust product. Like you said, the question you ask is like, is it in ClickUp? And most of the time it probably is, right? But um, for, for every different agency or every different software company or every different team, be that marketing, engineering, operations, um, like that experience is, is what we're most focused on right now for personalizing it. So the sweet spot is, is what we're centering in on within select groups um, because we have a lot of them, um, which is a good thing, to, a good thing to have. But it's always then like, OK, where do you start? How do you prioritize? And there's different ways you can approach that. It can be strategic. It can be data driven based on what you see today. Um, there's a lot of ways to think about it. But hopefully that wasn't too broad or too vague. Um, but that's truly what's happening right now around it. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um... I mean, I guess there's, there's really no limit to persona, micro persona definition as long as you can produce the content to support it. Um, so it, and as I think about this, the, the other question that I have is about partnerships. And I'm thinking about HubSpot and one of, one of their major breakouts also probably eight or 10 years ago was when they developed the partner program. Um, mm -hmm. It was huge for them, and I think that they, there's a massive amount of revenue now that comes through um, through their resellers and their partners. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that yet in ClickUp, but uh, is that something that you all are thinking about or working on? Absolutely. We we just brought on Jacob, who's a head of business development here, and he's he's focused a lot on like the partner ecosystem, but even more holistically, one of our big big plays that we're focused on for the, this upcoming fiscal year is is expanding what what is our partnership ecosystem, but having it be centered around brand. Um, so those are, those are big focuses. I think we've done a good job to date, but it's, it's going to be much more intentional coming up here in, in the future. And it's going to be pivotal to continuing, you know, how fast we're growing. Um, but as of today, those are some steps we've taken. And, you know, we have a great community, great set of partners as it exists today, but definitely continuing to be more intentional about it is, is in the plans for this upcoming year. Mm -hmm. um, 
I want to talk about CRM now. I think this is the next frontier. And um, you all now have email integrated. Um, what are the biggest risks of you all trying to take on the CRM space? Man, well, it's a fun topic. Where my opinion is um, ClickUp is, and, and I know Zeb would agree because I've talked to him about this, ClickUp is not out there to replace Salesforce, right? That's not, that's not our end goal as a company. But can ClickUp be a complement to Salesforce? Absolutely. Um, a tool that ClickUp could easily replace, I think outside of like very nuanced reporting right now, is probably something like Pipedrive. Um, if not even like others um, out there that are like simplified CRMs, like you can use ClickUp as a very, very functional, simplified CRM for your business. But you probably will reach a point eventually of where you will need something more robust, of which ClickUp could still serve as the front end interface for customer communications, team collaboration, um, but probably integrated with a larger tool over time. Um, so the, the vision is not to replace CRM, but it is to create more efficiency and collaboration within your work. And oftentimes it's probably not extremely efficient the way you may or may not be having two sales reps or an AE and a CSM collaborate on what's happening within a customer communication or a deal cycle. Um, and that that's what ClickUp's there for outside of, yes, being a could be temporary or long-term replacement for a CRM. It just totally depends on the company, uh, the function, the, the business case. Um, but that's that's something I know Zeb would agree on that we have talked about um, on the CRM front in, in terms of vision. Awesome. Uh, let's pivot over just to, to some of the uh, the events that you all are doing. I, I saw that you spoke at Saster a couple of months back. How was that? How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was fun. We we actually did Saster a couple of weeks ago, um, and they had they had their first live in person slash hybrid event um, since like the pandemic. We were we were going to do the original Saster annual in 2020, um, but naturally COVID hit, and that all got adjusted. Um, but it was extremely fun, um, extremely fun. You know, everything came together well with our team there. We had a booth. We did speaking. Uh, we, we sponsored like all the coffee cups, the big party, um, a number of things. But the coolest thing was just like talking to people there. And if someone wasn't a ClickUp user, they told us, hey, I've seen one of your billboards, which was kind of fun. Um, out of home is, is a fun discussion to, to have at any point. But, you know, just, just seeing that and in the place of where, you know, when you're in SaaS and in tech, it's a great conference. They, they do a great job putting it on. Um, but just hearing from the people that are in your space, that are large customers, small customers, everything in between, and even potentials that they've just heard of you or that they really, you know, appreciated, um, you know, the content about our journey in a speaking session or, you know, are talking to our team at the booth. I mean, that's the coolest part. Um, so we've done a couple events this year that were somewhat delayed. We did that one. And then Traffic and Conversion, which is a big marketing conference here in San Diego. Um, those were the two that we, we had done from a sponsorship side. Um, but it's been fun. It's been fun talking to people, hearing feedback. But Sasser was was extremely fun. And that one happened shortly after Traffic and Conversion. You brought up Out of Home. So I want to I stay there for a second. I was, I was in LA in uh, this past July. And I was floored because I saw... I saw a ClickUp bus. I didn't see the billboards, not in LA. I don't know. Maybe maybe I just wasn't in the right neighborhoods. But 
I saw the bus and I thought, what is, why? How, how, how do they attribute that? And so and then I've also noticed a lot of really top of funnel videos um, in the last, say, five, six months on YouTube. Yeah. But let's talk about the bus. Um, how do you all think about out of home and how does that, how does that contribute to the, to the user journey? Absolutely. So like we've had major, major investments we've done with our brand and creative efforts. And um, that, that's all Melissa Rosenthal and her team on the creative side um, in terms of in terms of strategy and positioning and everything you're seeing on YouTube with videos and whatnot and Facebook and all other channels. Um, but it's, it's brand. It's brand. Brandon is a halo effect that surrounds everything else that you're doing. Is it 100% measurable? No, it is not 100% measurable. Um, but it does surround everything. You hear about it in sales deals. You hear about it when you're talking to candidates. You hear about it on social. Um, so it's one of those things that's extremely important. It's what people think about you. It's help, it helps you position as you're a growing company and you know, could be the determining factor as to whether you know, a large deal closes even or you know, a candidate, candidate decides to you know, come over to work with you guys. Like, I've, I've heard mm-hmm. it all. Um, yeah. But if the question is how do you measure it? Well, you, you run surveys by geo um, for measuring aided and unaided awareness. That's one thing that we do. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, you, you have certain things that you can do where you can track, you know, behavior of people that pass some of your billboards. And that's something that's like totally newer, but I, it's very like, it's very low match rate, like not like what I would build a business case off of. Um, would, would that be something like somebody that, that just pulls out their phone and searches for ClickUp when they're in a certain radius of the billboard? You can geofence it and then basically also run ads to people within that area. But we haven't done anything as granular as that just because it hasn't been like extremely effective for performance marketing to date. So we've, we've chosen to focus on, yes, like select geos for where we're showing ads digitally and traditionally throughout a home. You know, you see a bus in L.A., I mean, there's no way we're attributing the bus. I'll tell you that. But but it does it does impact whether or not like you think of us, whether you're actively considering us, and whether you're in a place that you know for us is, is valuable as a company. Be that L.A., San Francisco, um, you know, Boston. Uh, we have a number of other cities as well. Um, but those are the main factors. Uh, about the brand, you mentioned earlier that as as paid acquisition goes up then brand awareness goes up and i think you also get a you get an organic lift from those additional brand queries and when i do the, when i do these brand queries i always notice that you uh that you're you're advertising for your own brand and and that's uh in cases where there sometimes are competitors there and other times where there aren't competitors what uh, what what goes behind that decision to to pay for a click that could otherwise be a free click organically? Yeah, so mostly the question being around branded ads and, and why spend there, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're not spending to protect your brand as you grow, your competitors will will do it, and they will gladly do it. Um, it's one of those necessary evils. I think like the the folks at Basecamp have talked about this, um, but you know, it's like spending money on your branded ads. It's something you just have to do over time. Otherwise, yes, is some of it organic for sure. Um, but like, do you want to capture that um, or let your competitors do it? Right. It, it's it's a matter of brand protection over time, and that's that's a cost that you have to expect to incur. Um, as you grow and as you, yes, scale 
online marketing, but even if you grew 100% organically and didn't spend a dollar, um, your competitors will, you know, will will try to take light of that either directly or indirectly because you know Google or Microsoft will will serve that ad um, either through choice or through intent. Right. So it's it's mostly just being intentional about protecting your brand and and knowing it's a cost that you will have to incur at some point as you grow. Yeah. I, I also think that there's even a, a financial imperative for that, too, because we've, we've even run tests on this that show that uh, overall conversions, when, when there's a, an ad and an organic result, there are overall there are more clicks and overall conversions are higher, which means it's more it is more profitable, actually even if some of those clicks are paid. And with with your own brand, you're going to be given a quality score of 10. It's going to be a very cheap click anyway. And uh, so actually, this is this is the most profitable part of, uh, of any paid search campaign. For sure. Actually. Um, but it's incremental. It, it's not, uh, it, it doesn't only cannibalize organic. In many ways, it's incremental. And I think if people who are wondering that should just test it actually for themselves. Um, great. Uh, I've back to the back to the videos and the branding. I've noticed I've noticed a bit of edginess with with ClickUp, um, and you've you've taken on some sensitive topics in some of these latest videos around coming back to work and and the remote the remote work environment. Um, how does that? You all seem to be a little bit of a rebel in the space. Um, just talk to me about that. Um, What's with that positioning and is it, uh, how is that working out for you? Yeah, it's funny. So you say a rebel and the way that I think of that is like, is anyone else doing what we're doing? And the answer is no, they're not, right? But that's because like, frankly, from a creative standpoint, number one, we care, right? We want to create videos and creative and brand building efforts that actually invoke emotion that are actually relevant to what's happening right now and making a very very conscious choice to how we're explaining our product in relation to that. But it's mostly about truly caring, wanting to be relevant. And yeah, if we're putting an ad in front of someone, we don't want it to suck. We want it to be a great representation of the brand, but more so something that they enjoy watching, right? And that's that's something that, you know, is, is very intentional on our part. And I don't think a lot of other competitors do it because you know, typically in software and SaaS, no one, no one's really doing that. You know, their ads are boring. They're talking. And, and the only people that have really tried to change that a little bit, I would say, is, is Monday. Um, I've seen attempts from, from others that just aren't as good. Um, and then with us, we're taking our own approach, um, which does center around brand. It does center around, around relevancy and it does center around emotion. And that's Again, that goes 100% over to Melissa and her team for, for focusing on that and basically creating that for, for what it is today. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, um, the, last, the last topic I want to touch on is a Level Up conference. It's coming up, uh, I believe, just in a couple of weeks. No, is it November 9th? Yep, coming up in a few weeks here. Yeah, we, we've signed up and, and that's a big deal. Is there anything that you want to let our audience know about, about Level Up this year? Well, um, it's going to be an awesome conference. I mean, the whole piece of this is is productivity as a centralized element. But, you know, we have an awesome guest speaker with Adam Grant um, and potentially a few like really awesome others. But, you know, even on top of that, um, this is going to be an incredible event. If you use ClickUp, highly recommend. If you're considering, highly recommend. 
If you've never used ClickUp, that's okay too. Again, the whole centralized piece is, is productivity. And there's going to be incredible people speaking and incredible topics on it. So that would be, you know, my suggestion. It's it's a half day, um, you know, and I, I think it would be well worth uh, checking out for any of those situations. So that's a little context. Yeah. Well, uh, Aaron, this has been incredible. Uh, I know that you're a busy guy. So uh, the last thing I want to leave you with is maybe just to ask you if, was there something that, I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you, or is there anything that you'd like for our audience to know? Um, no, no, I'm just always happy to, to talk about this stuff. And again, I'm, I'm, we as a company and myself too, are just super grateful to be in a position of where we're, we're growing as fast as we are from, from helping a ton of people. Um, and, you know, myself, I'm, I'm very grateful to, you know, I've helped and continue to help in the, in the way that I do within the company. So I, I think you covered it, but yeah, we're, we're just grateful to be in the position that we are and, super excited for what's to come. So nothing other than that. That's great. Well, congratulations on the success so far. Um, among In the first 25, that's got to be pretty awesome. And I think the best is still yet to come with ClickUp. So can't wait to see what you all going to come up with next. Awesome, Paris. Well, thanks for the time. And again, so awesome hearing your guys' story too. That, that's always like the funnest parts of the, these kind of things with me is when I get to hear that kind of stuff. So that's, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really been a game changer for us. I can say that honestly. This was a major part of us gr- growing up as an agency and getting the systems in place for our own growth and for our own scaling. And I, I knew that we needed, to, we needed something like that that was going to... Uh, both simplify things and also get get a lot of the missing pieces in place. Yeah, so we're uh, we're very happy with it. I love it, man. Awesome. Okay, Aaron. Well, you have a great day ahead, and uh, looking forward to level up in a few weeks. And uh, hope we can do this again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Very excited. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thanks. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.